Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. That means it's time for America's premier sports music program. Here on the ways of blogtalkradio.com, it is Fanatic Radio. I'm your host, Michael Gardner. Joining with me is an all-star panel of misfits, as Ben Florence is eventually on his way. And I am joined also by a very special guest, uh, frequent, frequent flyer and frequent caller. John Gardner will join me in the studio as well as he is visiting D.C., doing the bad mamma jamma of job hunting. But he decided to pop in to get me a little bit out of a hole. Of course, we begin today, as always, with our final episode of Olympic Coverage. Currently, Sochi Winter Olympics, two days left. I guess three. It's banned on Sunday with the final event being bobsled, cross-country skiing, and the gold medal games of hockey, which by this soundbite, this was something American fans are most commonly known for. Back ahead now comes Sidney Crosby. Crosby tries to dance through. Miller guides it away to the corner. Crosby up with it there. Punched along to Jerome again. Left. Crosby scores! It's over! The gold medal to Canada! Now it's four years ago when Sidney Crosby scored the overtime goal to win the gold medal. In Vancouver, which is great. Great for Canada, when in my home country. And of course, these two powerhouses met this morning in Sochi, as Canada got the best of America again, winning 1-0. And not only for the men's, the women also fell in overtime to the Canadians for the second consecutive Olympics. John Gardner, how disappointing is it for American fans knowing that men's and women fell again to our good, friendly neighbors to the north? You mean our good, friendly neighbors to the north that have much better hockey? <laughs> it's not well, no, because we played, we played well. And this is what the United States does. I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is what the United States does. They do really well in the prelims. 
they have, they have enough players to get us to the middle rounds. Because now who, who do we play? Finland for the the bronze? Yeah, we play Finland. Finland for the bronze. But then I feel like if there's anyone else but Canada, USA could win. I mean, I, I make the difference. I think Sweden has a really good team. I, think, oh, I, I said on the show last week that Sweden could yeah. win. I, I mean, they're World Cup champions. They're defending World Cup champions. They play a very good Canada team. Uh, that is a game I'm looking forward to. We'll continue. First of, all, first of all, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good to you in a minute. Go on hockey. No, I, I think it's 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 not so much. It's a difficult tournament. I think the Olympics because. You're having to play so many games so quickly. The turnaround. While, while a lot of these players are very comfortable with that in their NHL season, and a lot of them in their in their in their seasons, it's still a, a high demand. You know, it's you're playing against some of the best. You're playing and you're working. You're working hard, but you know, it, sometimes once you start to get into the knockout stage or the medal round, you know, the pressure pressure just turns up, and there's a bit more. There's more expectations, and there's more. Um, I guess I'd say like more demand to to perform well, and sometimes it, it just it's the un, it's the unluckiness of it. There's not a, there's no way to to bounce back after a loss. You know, it's winning go home, and it's difficult, and it's just the way the the ball bounces, the the puck bounces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think the, the the men's team of anything. I don't think we'll ever win another gold medal. Ever. I don't think we'll ever. I don't think we'll ever win. As Ben Florence joins us now in the studio. Hey, it's like we cast on the show. <laughs> I don't think men's USA hockey will ever win. Really? Because they well, I think our talent pool is was not as good this year as it was in Vancouver. Really? Yeah, I thought. Well, I thought. Well, of course, I mean, we still did very well. Yeah. We, you know, they play Finland tomorrow at uh, nineteen o'clock. Yeah, Saturday. Seven. All right. Yeah. Wait, so if it's 19, is it 19 local time? Because um, they are nine hours ahead. Sochi time. So then if that's at 19, that's, so I can't do what, 11 a.m.? Can't wait. Can't wait for the gold medal game. Yeah. Canada-Sweden. That would be a good one. But, yeah, I don't think, because I thought uh, Ryan Miller, I think, was better in 2010. Of course, Jonathan Quick played. Yeah, you played fantastic. These look very good thus far as well. What's the U.S. missing, though? What's that one step we can't take? What do you mean? What do you mean? We're losing to Canada. It's yeah. not like we're losing to a scrub, you know. Canada is still the best team, the number one team every one Olympics. Mm-hmm. They've got the strongest pull. I think that, I mean, beat, losing to Canadians, I mean, yeah, it's disappointing. Losing period is disappointing. But, you know, Canada is still the best team in the tournament, still the team to beat. And so, I mean, we're just, I mean, they didn't like, they did outplay us today, and they did look like the better team, but we were still in the game. So, um, I think that what could be more of a problem potentially, because what was interesting, I think it was uh, Ken Dryden, who was famous for being a color commentator on the Miracle on Ice Game with Al Michaels in 1980. Ah. Talking about how uh, the U.S. now has like a quarter of the NHL players right now are American. Like, like in 1980, it was like like 7% or something like that. So, but uh, what will be interesting is that one thing that we kind of talked about earlier before the show is that it, it's going to be – I will be completely shocked if NHL players are playing in the 2018 Winter Games 
and Pyeongchang because they almost didn't go this time. Not a big interest in South Korea. Not only that, the NHL, get, they really don't get anything out of it. They don't really get anything out of having the players play. I'm going to interrupt their season midway through for going all-star game because um, – Excuse me, because uh, for for the Olympics, and and what happened this time was that the Olympics, well, the IOC, I believe, had to play. Well, I mean, I know they did. They had to pay an eight million dollar like insurance policy to the NHL in just case like players got hurt, and that's and it's because you know it was relatively last second in that how this um, this really. Yeah, yeah. Actually so put together just to put the big stars. Exactly, in. exactly. Because Sochi needed that because you know there's so many big time Russian players in the yeah. NHL. So I think that will be interesting to see because, well, Canada or U.S. is a hockey like depth like their youth like it is growing, but Canada is still farther than us. So that could possibly be make us be take a step back. Excuse me. They essentially, essentially have AHL Miley players and some collegiate players. Uh, yeah, that would be. It basically would be, I think, collegiate players like what it used to be, like what it was in nineteen eighty. So that's what I think. Because I, I think that barring something very surprising, I, I would be shocked. There are NHL players in Sochi and uh, in Pyeongchang and in twenty eighteen. Surprised that Russia lost. Home country, Ovechkin, uh, our good friends um, PTI were talking about it. Yeah. And how Tony Kornheiser was not surprised. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Tony Kornheiser is the hockey insider yep. at ESPN. But I'm not that entirely that surprised. I mean, they did play very well against something that was very uh, entertaining. A very entertaining and a very well contested game that they came very close to winning. Poor controversial call, but with uh, the goalie being dislodged. But I'm not entirely surprised with this Russian team. They're they're very strong uh, on offense, like in the wings. But they did have a huge amount of depth. Their their team was kind of top heavy, so I thought it was going to be a tough. I mean, they weren't. A lot of people didn't expect that. I think Sports Illustrated didn't project the medal. I don't think they had a United States medaling either in hockey. They had Canada and then probably Sweden. I think Sweden was second, and I forget who was third. But I mean, I'm not entirely surprised. They lost to very. They lost to. Uh, well, draw the blank. Finland. Finland. Finland is very solid team. Who we play tomorrow? Yes. So I mean, I'm not entirely surprised, and I don't. I think it obviously will be disappointing for folks, um, you know, in Russia. But all in all, I think it was. I'm not entirely that surprised, to be honest. Are you, are you so? Uh, are you agreeing or thinking I'm insane saying the U.S. men's team won't win a gold? Well, I mean, I don't know. Because uh, I think of it, I think of it as sort of in basketball, where the the Americans will always eventually play Spain or Argentina, usually the teams that we meet in the medal round. Uh-huh. But we always have that one edge with coaching, with its athleticism, three-point shooting, whatever. Our men's basketball team usually is a heavy favorite to win unless the inevitable happens. Yeah. I think unless that inevitable happens in hockey, Canada will always uh-huh. 
win, or at least beat us. Yeah, because it is the Canadian sport, and they have a stronger farm system, stronger, younger talent. But, I mean, I, I mean, ever win? Are you saying that they'll never win a gold? Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think they could. I mean, they're certainly competitive. Let's not forget last year. We took the United, the, or not last year, last Olympics, Canada won in overtime yeah. in a classic. Yeah, which we actually almost scored, too. Exactly. I mean, we, of course, we had to fight to get it to overtime with uh, my boy Jack Parise, yeah. former devil, um, getting that tying goal. But um, I don't know if they'll – I think the, it'll be a while before they're considered a favorite. But I think that uh, – is that entirely crazy? To say that it'll be a while till they win a gold, but I mean, I'm not. Uh, it's not. You know, I got no serious qualms about it. I, I mean, I think it may be a little much, but all in all, it's you know, it is what it is. All right. Uh, final three days of the Olympics. That's right. Best we uh, we talked about the best moments from last week. Uh, Any big moments you've liked this week? Um. Well, one thing that happened the last uh, week since. Uh, we uh, spoke with that U.S.-Russia game, which I thought that game was unbelievable. I thought that game was so great. And, you know, I, I, I got up at 6.55 to watch that game, and it was, it, was, it was a classic. It was a great game. There was so much, like, emotion. It was a physical game. And, you know, we had a, went to shootout to T.J. Oshie, bringing it time after time. And I think that might have been my favorite one. We've had a pretty, uh, very, uh, very interesting Olympic Games thus far. But I think that early on Saturday morning, I think that was that was awesome. Because currently the medal count, we are, I think, so winning overall. We have 27, Russia 26, Canada 24. But now I love how on certain websites at NBC when they do their McDonald's board, it's uh-huh. overall. Yeah, but the Sochi Olympic website has in which Norway is winning. Uh-huh. They have ten, and the USA, Russia, Canada all tied with nine. Surprised that the United States' leading medal is bronze? Uh, I'm not that surprised to be honest. I think Norway coming in was they were thought to be having a strong Olympic Games. Um, I mean, but yeah, there there were we did have feel like had some missed opportunities. Um, Sean White not meddling at all. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Davis not meddling at all. And uh, but we also we won a Golden Slope style, which we were not the favorites to win. So um, sorry about that. No good. But uh, I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, obviously you would like uh, the United States to do a little bit better, a bad couple of goals and medals in general. But I'm not entirely that surprised. We're the U.S. is in the medal count, how they're doing, uh, you know, medal-wise. And I think, uh, I, I didn't think, honestly, kind of, that this is going to be a Olympics where we were just going to win the medal count again. I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought we could, we would definitely be in mix, and we are. But I'm not entirely surprised with how it's shaped up thus far. Well, my three surprises are the lack of golds, as we have nine currently, six of them have come from freestyle and skiing and snowboarding, basically X Games yes. events. Fantastic. 
the other uh, the other two, and one of them is the other three. The other one is uh, my second surprise: uh, Meryl Davis, Charlie White duo won gold. Which was, I mean, it was kind of a surprise because you know USA figure skating has sort of I thought would not be as good because Evan Lysak is not competing this year yeah. this, this time around. Uh, the women, Gracie Gold has had, I think, a silver and a bronze, maybe just a bronze. And um, Ashley Wagner, with all the attention she's had, I don't think she's medaled. Because she consistently gets, like, in the, like just off the cusp of five, six range. Which the figures getting a 17-year-old Russian, or like a 15-year-old, how they win gold is insane. And then my third surprise has been... Alpine skiing. We have two gold medals in that. Five total of the team's 27. Ironically, uh, my boy Brody Miller has uh, drawn up some, uh, had some big controversy over the week. Basically, he's competing in the is it Super G? Giant, uh, Super, yeah, I think Super G. Uh-huh. And medal, the first medal of the games. Was excited. And here is the, and for those of you who haven't listened, here is the interview from NBC. Cody, such an extraordinary accomplishment at your age after a turbulent year coming back uh, from knee surgery to get this medal today. Put it in perspective for us. How much does it mean to you? Oh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. You know, I, I, always, I always feel like I'm capable of winning medals, but as you see in this Olympics, it's not that easy. Um, you know, to, to be on the podium, this was a, it was a really big day for me, and I, I kind of emotionally I had a lot riding on it. I'm really, even though I didn't really ski my best, a lot of mistakes, I'm just super, super happy. And Bodie, for a guy who said the medals don't really matter, they aren't the thing, you've amassed quite a collection. What does this one mean to you in terms of all the others? It, this was a little different. I think, um, you know, my brother passing away, I really wanted to come back here and uh, and race, you know, the way he sent it. So uh, this was a little different. Bodie, you're showing so much emotion down here. What's going through your mind? Um, I mean, a lot, obviously. Just uh, a long struggle coming in here and uh, just a tough year. And... Uh, I know you wanted to be here with, with Chile really experiencing these games, and how much does it mean to you to, to come up with a great performance for him, and was it for him? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's really for him, but I wanted to come here and, and uh, I don't know, I guess make myself proud, but... When you're looking up in the sky at the start, we see you there, and it just looks like you're talking to somebody. What's going on there? The loss of his brother Chili to a seizure last April, that emotion that he has been carrying with him since continues to flow out. So that was from NBC's coverage after he won bronze. Uh, interview started great. Then, in my opinion, went downhill. Yeah. Soon as Christine Cooper. Yes. Kept uh, emphasizing the fact that it, that did he win it for his brother? Uh-huh. Do you think NBC went too far? Um, or did she go too far? Uh, I really don't think that. Uh, I I don't think they did. I think that. I mean, maybe a little bit, 
But I don't buy this argument that NBC and, you know, they were all trying to make him cry. Right. They were asking a question that people wanted to know the answer to. And I think that, you know, was a, was a key part of, like, the whole thing. So I, I, I don't think NBC, uh, maybe, I, I, I mean, if it were me, maybe I would approach it a little bit differently. But all in all, I would have basically done the same thing. And it's like, you know, somebody doesn't answer your question or if not. And if people were like, oh, well, she was want, she wanted to make him cry, which I don't buy. And there was no knowing that he was going to cry. Right. He could have just been like, you know, like uh, like smiling, like, you know, I'm thinking of him or whatever. So I, I really, I think a lot of it is, well, I don't want to say much to do about nothing, but I really don't think all in all it's a, is a big is that big of a deal, and I and I really don't have much uh, issue with what happened there. I think it's the fact that she was not she was a former one of NBC's bringing out a former athlete, because our good friend Don Marcus could try to compare it to the Aaron Andrews situation with Richard Sherman, and a person in, and he a person in my class actually said uh, the Richard Sherman case he brought it upon himself. Aaron Andrews asked a simple question. That's right. The scooper, on the other hand, did the opposite, uh-huh. continued to emphasize. I think that that sort of lack of journalistic training well, I don't, in she, intense moments like that. Yeah, but I, I, as far as I know, she's not a journalist, though. She's a former athlete, right? Erin right? Andrews, on the other hand, is. Exactly. Well, I mean, well, people always dispute that, like Kevin Harlan. They went on the radio at the CBS uh, Sports uh, affiliate in Pittsburgh and basically said she's not a journalist or something like ridiculous. But anyways. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I don't think it was that big a deal. Like I said, I may have approached it a little bit differently than me. But, you know, I, I think that it was a question that uh, I think needed to be asked. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think she was badgering her or him or just like you know grilling him. I just was asking asking the question that you know I I think people wanted to hear. Well, I'm glad Bernie Miller won, and he did apologize. He did say on Twitter it was it was you know up in the moment it wasn't her fault. I don't think it was. Oh well. Uh, we actually got a we just got a third medal in Alpine skiing, a third gold medal. As we'd like to thank. Michaela Schifrin, the teenage skiing sensation, winning the women's slalom. The other two was Julia Mancuso, who won super combined for the downhill portion of it. Oh, no, she just let it. Never mind, we only have two. <laughs> Tim, Tim, oh, never mind. Yeah, because I actually had a great conversation with, with my dad about the difference between the skiing events. I overheard that, that's right. Downhill, there's giant slalom, which is sort of the continuous S down the hill. Slalom, which is when they go through the pegs or the, the sticks. Super G, which is a, com- a combined of, of speed downhill and giant slalom. And then super combined, which is when they take the best times from the slalom and the downhill. So at least we had a man and a woman win medals in those events. Men's slalom is the last event. That is Sunday morning which Bernie Miller will not be competing in as he dropped out one of the most decorated winter Olympians in his respected sport. Good, good to see at least he got a medal. And surprisingly, the USA was not getting drilled in alpine skiing 
We had five total medals compared to Austria's seven. Another interesting sport we mentioned, hockey. Uh, the bobsled is continuing. Has the Jamaican bobsled team gone yet? I think they, I think they have. I could be wrong, but I think... Well, it's interesting watching the women's two, two-man teams, how the United States had three teams, and two of them consisted of uh, track and field, Lolo Jones and... I don't remember the other one. I'm going to look her up. But for the, um, oh, Lauren Williams, who ran, who was a part of the 4 by 100 team that won gold in London. And I think it's cool to see they got in the women's two-man team, they got a silver, which is great considering it's her first Olympics. And she's actually the first Olympian since 1924, I believe, to win a medal in the summer games and in the winter games. So I think it's cool that the crossover teams or athletes succeeded. Lola Jones did not medal, but, hey, they at least competed and got there. That's right. They did what they had to do. And and the two-man heat for the night train got a bronze, which is surprising. It's another team everyone thought was going to do well. They returned men's four-man heat for Sunday, February 23rd, 15 o'clock. Be there at B-square. Be there at B-Square. Your overall impressions of the Olympics before we put out the torch um, next week. Then, you know what's interesting? You're like, you know. I, I missed most of it. Yeah. I mean, bad. I missed most of it. Well, I mean, it is. That's the one thing about the Olympics. You know, it is. There is a significant time difference between nine hours to where events are done, like, you know, early in the afternoon. And obviously we have class and all that jazz. So, and. It's uh, it's been an interesting game. I do love that one of the perhaps the biggest storyline to come out of this game, and you know whether it speaks to the media or whatever, is that Bob Costas at the Tinker. Yeah. Which and how the nighttime hosts have been three different people in yeah. less than a week. Yeah, and the thing and the thing is, Costas was on the uh, was on the Today Show this morning, and. They were, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving on Monday, next Monday. And Matt Lauer was like, oh, what are you, taking the red eye? And Costa's was like, well, I guess I walked into that one. Oh, geez. NBC, if you need future people to uh, do the Olympics, our resumes are ready to be reviewed. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk Cleveland Browns, NFL Combine, and our NASCAR preview. Mm. You listen to Snack Radio on blogtalkradio.com. Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio.
Fanatic Radio. This show's a joke. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Radio, Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, John Gardner, whoever he is, talking on the phone, he's uh, visiting us this week, doing some uh, good old job hunting, much like some of the collegiate athletes at the Combine. Mm. And right out of the gate, uh, interesting, uh, during the uh, the, Q, the Q&As of certain press, of athletes' press conferences, Johnny Football was texted by the golden boy Tom Brady. Uh, for him to reach back out to me after I uh, extended a text message to him. Uh, it was extremely cool. Um, kind of really funny conversation at first. Worked to, worked our way into a little more serious conversation, but it was, it was really nice and very thankful for him to be able to extend a, extend a hand out to me um, the situation that I'm, I'm in. Man. Basically, uh, Tom Brady wants to le- learn more of uh, foot speed from Johnny Football, who's currently listed 5'11", three-quarters, 207 pounds at the Combine. One of the many big stars going into this Combine, uh, especially in the quarterback class, you got Teddy Bridgewater, got Taj Boyd, A.J. McCarron, Blake Bortles. Is it going to be another quarterback-heavy draft class? Um, I think so. Uh, it is actually a pretty deep, uh, draft class as a whole. Uh, a lot of people are wondering if there really is that um, that uh, franchise quarterback because there's no like clear cut number one guy. Even though it appears a lot of the momentum from what I've heard and from what other people have said that the, there is a lot of momentum toward people thinking that Blake Bortles from Central Florida is the top quarterback in the draft. I mean, I like all the three uh, the three top quarterbacks that are going to be top ten, could very well be top five picks. Uh, I like Bortles. I like uh, Teddy Bridger a lot, and I love Johnny Manziel. I think Johnny Manziel is – I mean, he's got the size and he's got the, the attitude questions and all that crap, but I think Manziel will be so much fun in the NFL. And I think that, you know, because he's got the skill to do it. The one biggest question I have with him – it's him in the pocket. A lot of times in Texas A&M, he would, like, run outside. Immediately, like. Yeah, exactly. And he would make great plays. And, but, you know, and he did make a lot of strides this year as a, as a quarterback. He didn't run nearly as much, which was great to see. And he still had an awesome year. But it will be interesting to see him as he kind of, if, if they're going to try to make him into more of a pocket or just let him do his thing, which is like, Kind of what Washington did with Robert Griffin that they and Carolina can exactly they molded the offense to them and that could be I mean because I think Manziel could be a pocket passer but he's so dangerous on the edge just and his instincts are off the charts. According to B Flip 360's pre-draft the pre-combine edition yeah. of the mock draft. What is a pre-draft edition? You have Bortles going to Houston, I not do. Johnny Football. I do. Well, scroll on down. You have the Browns. That's actually a good segue. We're going to say that. Browns are taking Johnny Menzel. Teddy Bridgewater to the Jaguars, which mm-hmm. is funny because didn't they just draft Lynn Gabbert like two years ago? Yeah, it was uh, two or three years ago, and he 
atrocious. The team's been bad. Yep. I'm surprised Maurice Jones-Drew hasn't wanted to leave. Uh, well, I believe he's a free agent this year, and he probably will be gone. He'll be gone. So, um, yeah, but Gamble was atrocious. A lot of people were like, why didn't they take a quarterback last year? Though there's some people like, oh, well, the next year's quarterback class could be very, very strong. So I'd be shocked. I mean, maybe if Clowney, J.B.R. Uh, and Clowney is available, if maybe they'd consider him. But I don't think he's going to get past two. It'll need to be St. Louis or whoever. Because I think St. Louis ultimately is going to trade out of that pick. And somebody's probably going to, I could see like an Atlanta trading up for him. Yeah, you have Clowney going second to the Rams, which is funny because that was the Washington Redskins pick, yep. which is a position that the Skins definitely need. Yep. A ferocious defensive end that has been arrested multiple times this year and yet will still play in the NFL. Uh, looking at Flo's top ten, he has Oakland Raiders taking Sammy Watkins, who I think is one of the best wide receivers in the country, him and Marquise Lee. I think he. I think Watkins is definitely the best rusher. I like Lee a lot. I think. Uh, I think it's a good wide receiver class. You got. Uh, I think Watkins is definitely the best guy. You got uh, Mike Evans, Texas A&M. Yes. Marquise Lee, and then you go a little further down. You get Kelvin Benjamin out of Florida State. Um. Uh. uh the guy. Who's the guy from Penn State? I'm drawing a Allen Robinson. So, uh, yeah, very, very good receiving class and, and also a, a tremendous tight end class. Mm. Where you got at the top, you got two tight ends that are definitely going to go in the first round. And another, and uh, Eric Abrod, who a lot of people are thinking is, is not going to make it, either out of the top 10 or maybe out of, like, the top 15 at, without question. And um, for North Carolina, and then uh, Jay Jigamaro. Texas Tech, another fantastic player, another one of those dangerous guys up the middle. And then another guy that has some maturity issues, but is also very talented. He's either going to be a late first or early second at the Austin, uh, Safarian Jenkins out of Washington. So, for the wide receiver crowd, but for some very talented guys. Put his name on the list, I am seeing a gentleman by the name of Haha Clinton Dix. Yes. Safety from Alabama. Mm hmm. To the St. Louis Rams. Very good, excellent player. One of those guys that uh, those safeties that teams love to have because that they could he could play up, you know, in run support and he could be very well, play very well in the uh, second and you know, playing for Nick Saban. So, and then one thing I, I have Ebron going later in the draft. I forget specifically what pick, but I'm probably going to change that. I believe a guy going all the way at 29, which. In in, uh, in theory, is probably going to be way too strong because he looks like he could very well be a top ten guy. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of hype around him. So yeah, a lot of also big storylines going into for the NFL teams, which is down the road. We'll definitely get it when the draft actually it's in April. But yeah, you have you had Ed Bryant with the Patriots who are looking <laughs> to potentially replace Rob Gronkowski with his injury woes. Yep. The Chiefs getting Kelvin Benjamin, which is a much needed because considering Jamal Charles was the biggest playmaker on the entire offense under the Andy Reid administration, there was no wide receivers because I think the last big wide receiver they had was, was Dwayne Bowe. And according to sources, 
supposed to. Uh, my, my man, Steve Gardner, said, when Bo is getting old, so now it's time to start seeing who the next generation is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then that was another guy that I thought initially, uh, Eric Avron, Jay Gamaro. They're Baldwin. They don't have a pit with a flop. Yeah, and they don't have a, lot, a whole lot of tight end either. And with a guy like Alex Smith, you need to give him a strong uh, supporting class, supporting cast for him to... Um, to work with. So it transitions perfectly. Flo has Browns taking Johnny Manziel, and here is what Jimmy Haslam said last week in regards to literally cleaning house in his uh, front office. After lots of conversation, uh, mutually agreed that it was best for the organization um, if we streamline things where accountability, uh, reporting lines were much clearer, and accordingly, effective today, we've announced that Alex Shiner, as I mentioned earlier, will run our business side and will remain as president. Uh, Mike Patton will obviously be the head coach, and Ray Farmer will be our GM. We will not have a CEO, and those three people will report directly to me. Basically, as I was saying, no CEO. Yeah. The people underneath report directly to the boss man. Browns, a great tweet by Adam Schefter saying, in 45 years, Pittsburgh Steelers have gone through three coaches. Uh-huh. And in 145 days, the Browns have gone through three coaches. Yeah. It is awful in Cleveland. 145 days? I don't know. Yeah. Why? No, because, uh, what's his name? It is weeks. Or, yeah, I remember like a year. Because it's interesting because Haslam, you know, he grew up, uh, Steelers fan it was before he had a small stake in the Steelers before he bought the Browns. But it's clear that, I mean, whether uh, them getting rid of Banner, uh, the president, and which was uh, this is certainly a surprising move, and then Lombardi. I mean, Lombardi is, a lot of people don't like him. Uh, I personally wasn't a huge fan of him, but it's still a surprising moment. And why would you fire these guys? Why would you, if you wanted to get rid of them, why would you do it now instead of, like, when they were looking to hire a, a head coach? Why wouldn't you do that then instead of doing it now? And there there are some speculative rumors. Apparently, Haslam is a good friend of Peyton Manning. So supposedly, and this is completely absurd, that he is keeping the CEO, and, you know, he's a big booster to the University of Tennessee, that he is looking to um, – Keep that CEO position open for when Peyton Manning retires and give it to Peyton Manning. Have him run the Browns. I mean, you know, we saw when Aslam, people saw when Aslam came to town, and he would finally bring them some disability. He came to town. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, it was like a season and a half ago or even less, in a year and a half. And now it's just a complete complete mess. And, And even more so than usual for the Browns. But in their newest incarnation, they've just been completely inconsistent. And, you know, people wonder why the franchise is going nowhere, and that's why. Exactly, because ever since they've come back in 1999, they have had a combined 77 and 163 record. And they've had two winning seasons in 2002. And 2007 with a nine and seven and ten and six record respectively. 
they've gone through how many coaches? Chris Palmer, Butch Davis, Romeo Cornell, um, Mangini. Uh, now you get into the one-year wonder guys. You get um, uh, Pat Shermer, uh, and now Chodzinski, uh, uh, and now Mike Penn. That's seven guys that have coached a team who's been around, at least this incarnation's been around for 15 years. That's bad. That really is really bad. I mean, that, that coaching stint is worse than the Redskins' job. At least they've been able to keep a coach for about three years before firing him. Yeah, I mean, the Shanahan thing, they're living the same. Danny Snyder, everybody knows that guy has no idea what he's doing. Wait, he's a fool. Exactly. John Gardner, who would, you, who would do a better job running the Browns? Any names? Same one. I don't know. I mean, any coach that's currently has a job could probably do a better job. Well, not coach, but, like, who, who, would, who would you see running the Browns better than Jimmy Haslam? So anyone, just be like Artie Lang. Artie Lang. Do you know who Artie Lang is? Well, why are we talking about Artie Lang? Artie Lang can run the Browns better. And we can run the Browns better. I don't know. Like, organizational standpoint? Yeah, just anyone. I think the league should buy the Browns out. The league should run the Browns and Why? That. We do that in baseball with the Expos. Well, so, the league bought some team in some league in soccer. It was the Chivas USA. Yeah. MLS bought them. I don't know. Well, because Chivas USA is a show. Yeah, Chivas. That's the worst run organization in the Browns. Yeah, they were firing people that couldn't speak Spanish. Yeah. For that reason. Exactly. And they had, like, and the, owner, the owner had, like, legal troubles and maybe Jerry Jones. Deals, apparently. Look at the success. They I mean, from a marketing yeah. standpoint, look at Jerry Jones, what he's done with the Cowboys. Not saying from a, from a playing standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, if you – if you just take over a team and are able to market it, you can be very successful. Look what he's done. Well, in one of these years, you know what's going to happen. Jerry Jones is going to coach the Cowboys. He's already said in an interview like 10 or 15 years ago, like you would ask point blank, do you, do you think you can coach the Cowboys? Like, absolutely. He'd go from, he'd be owner, GM, and a coach. Exactly. I'm saying that. I'm calling it Jackie Moon saga right there. Jerry Jones, to coach the Cowboys. Cleveland Brown, that's that's bad. That's so bad. But we need Cleveland Rocks. That would be awesome to get Johnny Manziel on the Browns. That was apparently the thing where a a key, one of the reasons why he thought that Chudzinski got fired because the organization wanted to draft Manziel, and Manziel wouldn't have been a great fit for Chudzinski's for his. He's all shebang. Where's uh, Pettit from? Pettit uh, came, he was the defensive coordinator in Buffalo for a year. And before that, he was for several years the defensive coordinator of the Jets. He's a very good coach. And players like playing for him. He's a hard-nosed guy, but he's a talented coach. But it, it was just comical because they, they had all these targets in the offseason. And all, so many of them were like, yeah, we're not interested. Like, you know, hard coaching jobs are hard to come by. But, you know. I feel like nobody wanted to go to the Browns. Exactly. So, and it was weird because they were, they, they took a while, which isn't a terrible thing. But, and then it seemed like a guy that they wanted to wait to interview, they then just hired a coach before that. So, that was the coordinator standpoint of the, from the Seahawks. So, complete mess. Exactly. So, NFL, we will be up to date on Flo's, uh, uh, mock draft. That's right. As he will go to the break. 
Yep, and he will go toe-to-toe as Flo is a two-time champ in the B-Flo 360 Fox on Sports Extravaganza. Are we even certain about that? Two years, yeah, two years in a row. Because we started, we started it with our good friend Eric Saltzman to prove that Flo has a better friend, or a better blog than him. Well, well, we knew that. And Flo's Super Zoo, which is fantastic. The combine is going on Saturday. It starts Saturday. Offensive lineman tight end, special teams Saturday. The quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers Sunday. That's always great. A chance to uh, watch the guys do the 40. We have Sandcastle make a return. Rich Eisen does it. I tried to do the combine once, John. Not pretty. I don't think you. No, I cannot see you. Thank you. Thank you. I want. I want. Well, we don't. The problem is we don't have an indoor facility, so I can't run a forty-yard dash. I mean, I could do it outside, but it's you know the DC weather is. You can't. You can't use that as an excuse. It's so Yeah, you can really run inside Indianapolis. I mean, I've been. I was talking on the phone. Amen to that. With our with the uh, the one and only Pittsburgh analyst. Oh, no, I was going to say shout-out to uh, Kathy Garner, my mom. Listening to the show, the legend, the legend herself, listening to the show. And before, we, uh, once again, it's Snack Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Just because you didn't know what show you. Exactly. Uh, you go, go to our Facebook page and on the Beefless blog this week, you can have a mock wonderlick test. If you ever want a chance to see the questions of what it's like that a lot of these student former student athletes go through before making it to the big bucks, go to Flo's blog, click on this link to take. Wait, did you just say making it to the big bucks? No, getting the big bucks. Making it to the league, getting the big bucks. Ah, uh, okay. A chance to take a wonder leg, which we've had great people like Morris Claiborne practically fail it. Yeah, but yeah, apparently I'm like a living ghost, though. Vince Young practically fail it. What, are you, what does that even mean? So, yeah. Some of the questions are funny because it's like it's like a I have looked at it. It's a combined time. of the SAT and real world scenarios. And some of the real world scenarios are completely laughable. Once again, our podcast is on iTunes because you should listen to the podcast on iTunes because we will be getting to our NASCAR breakdown as the 2014 season. Uh, will be officially underway Monday. Monday afternoon. The Daytona 500 is among us. John Gardner is excited, I can tell. Of course. We love, we love, we love some NASCAR. Love America. Exactly. And here is uh, sound bites from Dale Jr., Tony Stewart, and going for his seventh championship, Jimmy Johnson. Um, and I'm, I'm comfortable talking about it because I'm happy for Steve, like you, know, like you mentioned, and... Um, and we've got a lot to prove. We still feel like we've got a great opportunity this year to run well. And he's a, he's such a the, – the kind of guy he is, and I think my fans can rest assured, the kind of guy he is is that we're going to run – we're going to go out there and give it the same effort as if he were going to be the crew chief for the next 10 years of that car. I mean, we're not – there's nothing's going to change in our work ethic and our ability to go out there and perform. Uh, because we realize we got a great chance, and we're not going to throw it away. People that have been responsible for helping us get back, and and uh, you know the guys on the the crew, you know that had me out of the car last year. I mean, those guys have been excited about getting us back in the car, and um, you know Mark Martin's called and checked on me the last couple of days, and it's just it's been fun. I was glad we got to spend time with Kevin out in Vegas. We actually had a. a a uh, Jimmy John's convention out there, and there, if there's anybody that's going to get you motivated uh, to do anything, it's it's Jimmy. So uh, you know, he listening to him speak, it was just like that was 
that was that last little push to to get ready to come here. And uh, you know, we're, when we got on the plane to leave, I, I knew I was coming straight to to Daytona, so I'm, I was pretty excited. You know, it 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 is out there, and I do um, you know internally uh, smile and get anxious and excited, and and really hope that I have that opportunity. I mean, to, to be this close is amazing, and I would. I mean, just love to to be in that elite company with those guys and to tie them. And as long as we're dreaming here, talk about maybe winning one more than them Why and not? trying to be the the winningest uh, you know driver in the sport or the most championships. But um, you know, I'm I'm trying to be more mature and and look at things a little differently. And I think having a family has, uh, especially our two little ones, have changed this this a lot. And having a, a bigger perspective and a bigger view, you know, certainly my professional goals are, are very important to me. Um, but, you know, personal life, balanced life, being truly happy and enjoying life, uh, giving back to the community through our foundation and various mm. other outlets, you know, there, there's a lot to it. And I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to be more broad and, and enjoy a lot more of what's going on. And I, I did that last year, and I really felt like I enjoyed this championship uh, in the process far more than any other year mm-hmm. and didn't lose anything. You know, that's a big fear that, us, that we all have is if I don't live this, you know, structured, regimented life and sacrifice everything in its path to win a championship, you won't get there. Hey, Goldberg. Love, love um, storylines going into this season, 2014. First out of the gate, the biggest one is modified to the chase. And like, wish, wish a happy birthday to Barry Goldberg. Great man. AU volleyball head coach. New former president of university. New new chase, new qualifying format, new drivers, one of the largest rookie classes we've ever seen. Not the end we've ever seen, but the largest in recent memory. Well, I think it, we had we had one uh, like Denny Hamlin one working here. I think that at the start of the year had the mo- had almost that was tied with this one for almost having like eight guys. But um, yeah, so it's yeah, one thing I was uh, I meant to talk about in my Daytona 500 picks, but uh, it's interesting they have now with the new format they make every single race more important. So and now they've actually figured out a way to make NASCAR the Daytona 500, the marquee event of the year, even more important because winning it will help solidify a uh, berth in the chase, in the new chase, um, uh, new chase for the Spring Cup. So definitely big changes. Uh, basically, if you win, you're in. Uh, you're expanding the field. They're putting an emphasis on winning. I love the elimination, uh, especially yeah, especially in the chase. Exactly, that's something that I which, which, which usually makes sense anyway. If you win in the chase, you're pretty much guaranteed to be the top two guys fighting for the end. Yeah, pretty. You're pretty not going to win and just win the chase and win the championship. Yeah, yeah. There's five chase wins. Carl over Joanne won. They still tied. Can't say one two. What can they do? What can they do? Even though he didn't win, he finished second. Yeah, he was up there. At the and he was a strong all season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm interested to see how drivers approach this because if you if drivers win um, within those first, like, ten races of the season up until about the TNT Summer Series mm. in, like, Michigan, Kentucky, if those guys win, they could pretty much just race to drive around, stay in the top 30 because they have a win or wins. Yeah. They're already in. They have nothing to lose. Uh-huh. So they have a chance to gamble a little more. Exactly. For more wins. Or do you gamble for more wins, or do you just play it safe? 
And the second thing I'm looking forward to is the tracks that a lot of people don't really pay attention to, like the road courses, those yeah. are going to be absurd. Absolutely. Because everyone will be gunning for a win. Exactly. you gotta, you got to be on your game everywhere now. That's the thing because, you know, it's you know it's obviously it's hard to win on the Spring Cup Series, and it's easy for guys to win a bunch of races, you know, get in a group and guys to be you know hang around. Because now you we've seen your staff had a very consistent year, strong year, get into the chase, and then they're in the mix, but they didn't win. So now this puts a greater emphasis on winning. Although, and we've said this before, the guy that would have won a championship last year with this point standing didn't actually have a win in Dale Earnhardt Jr. Didn't win the chase. Didn't win in the first. And that's going to come back to haunt guys like that. And that's what's interesting because will the consistent will the consistent guys thrive or will it just be the guy that wins? You know, the first three out of the gate and then chase starts. Uh, well, what's interesting is that if you win the first three out of the chase starts, you you just advance to the next round. You don't like it's not a continuous point thing. The points are continuous reset after each round, which also shows that a guy has to be on his to win, because we've talked in the past with them in the chase that it brings them to the season to like 10 races and thus a guy could get hot. But now you've got to get hot and like we've seen guys win chases based on starting off really well and then having solid years and the other guys falling off. But now you got to be on your game each of these blocks. Like You have to be on your game like once every two weeks. Exactly. Or even every week. Because, you know, it's going to be a battle to – so. but one thing that I think we agree on is that, that neither of us like is that now it comes all down to Homestead and the biggest finisher at Homestead trying to make it like the Game 7 feel, which I, I, I don't think that would – I don't think that's a great idea. I'd rather – Four guys, too. Exactly. For I'd rather see it be like – final two races or uh, just one less elimination or I don't know. But all in all, I really like this point system. And I think it's going to make this, this this NASCAR season very fascinating to watch, even more so than usual. Favorite driver storylines going in? Because obviously the big storyline is, you know, the new Chase is going to do Gen 6 in its second year, yeah. qualifying format. Mm-hmm. Favorite driver storyline going in? I think a big storyline, you've got a lot of guys that had disappointing years. Uh, so you've got storylines like Denny Hamlin, who was hurt, and then came back was very inconsistent. Tony Stewart, who was hurt. Uh, Bad Brad missed the chase. Bad Brad, another guy. But I think the biggest storyline is going to be Jimmy John. Because even he pointed out, and he said, I don't think that NASCAR did it because of me, but I think they probably thought about it because he's just been the dominant guy in the chase area, which, I mean, you know, winning a championship is winning a championship, no matter how you do it. And thus, I think that is, I don't don't think it's the sole reason I agree with him, but it definitely had to factor into it, something like that, that this guy is consistently excellent and always uh, winning the chase. And also, he's going for a seventh title, which only two guys have done, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. You know who those guys are. And... And not only are they the only guys to do it, Jimmy Johnson would be the youngest guy to do it, and he would be the fastest to do it. So I think that the Jimmy Johnson storyline all year, how the chase is going to affect him, and how is he going to do it if he's going to get that seventh title. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to our, our, our champions in a minute. 
uh, other than the Jimmy Johnson yeah. storyline, the three storylines I like is the return of the three. How did I forget what, that? What happens with Austin Dillon? First of all, he's already got another Austin. great story. He's got a pole on the 500, which is going to be so cool to see. Exactly. How he responds. How he responds. Because he seemed to embrace the whole culture of returning one of NASCAR's Absolutely. most iconic numbers back to the sport. And he's done very well. He's someone with every series he's gone up Chuck's Nationwide Cup. He's won titles in both. And he's won races. He's been very consistent. And Childress cars. I think now without Kevin Harvick can focus on and he's the top dog at Childress. Yeah, because in the Childress organization you got him, you got Newman. Newman's a consistent chase driver. Experience that can help him. Exactly. And Paul Menard, you know, Paul Menard used to get a lot of hate for basically getting jobs because of sponsor, but he's shown he can run up front. And he's had very solid years with Childress, so And Chevy's got this Gen Six car on lot. Exactly. You know, and then the second one is Dale Jr., mm-hmm. how he responds to this new chase format, will his consistent ways, or will not will not getting a win end up being oh, the, uh, the, end, the end factor? Or, will, and, uh, is uh, Lane Duck here with Steve Littart? Mm, that's right. That's uh, something interesting. Uh, do we... And the third is, um, how do you think Patterson respond? Okay. That's right. It's just now you've got this whole thing about the Richard Petty comment. And Tony Stewart said, I think that Richard Petty should come out and race Daniel Patrick because Richard Petty knows he raced at a different time where he had the strongest cars. And my response to that is, like, okay, you're going to defend your driver, defend your colleague, whatever. Richard Petty's also in his 70s. Yeah. And I don't know what he would do one-on-one against Richard Petty. He hasn't driven a car since, like, the, like the early 90s. So, I I mean, I understand what Stewart is saying, but it's still, it just comes off as ridiculous. And, and, I, and I don't entirely agree with Richard Petty, although I think he's right most of the way. Yeah. Because I, 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 I do think she can win on a play track. Mm-hmm. She's shown she's good on the play track. Last year. Exactly. Won the pole. We were running in the top five. All that jazz. All right, so Flood's predictions for the 500, according to bflood360.com, you have Jimmy Allen. For the first time since 2000, and only the, I forget what I said in there, the, the, uh, the fifth driver ever to win the, the, uh, the Sprint Unlimited and win the Daytona 500. There is nobody that has had a better speed weeks that he has. Again, he got, he was awesome in the sprint over the leading all three segments. Just to clarify, last two guys to do it, Jeff Gordon, 99, Dale Jarrett, 2000. Yes, that's right. And, um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, pardon me for a moment. And, uh, yeah, Dale Jarrett did it twice. You only got to do it twice. Now, I think Aaron's going to do it. We saw this year, as we saw in last year's chase, even though Matt Kenton and Denny Hamlin had engine issues and Kyle Busch I don't know. Kyle Busch had engine issues. Danny Hamlin finished 14th. But they were the strongest cars at Daytona last year. And Before the engine trouble. In the fight. Exactly. They, and they, they've shown that in this year they're very good in the draft. And the thing about this year with the draft that, that we saw last year, it's not as easy to pass guys as it was. You, a lot of times you get guys side by side and they stall out. So, um, but I really think Danny Hamlin's going to win this year. I think he's got a lot to prove. Or he's got a big chip on his shoulder. Everyone knows he's an excellent driver. 
But I think he's got a lot to prove. Or, no, he thinks he has a lot to prove after last year. He got hurt, came back. He only missed a couple races, but he was very inconsistent. He came up a career where he's 25th in points. But I think he's going to come out and win the Daytona 500. I don't think – I think a Gibbs car will win. Mm -hmm. I'll put uh, my money on Kenton. Okay. Someone who – I think Roddy Bush will wreck, as he always does. Very impatient. Uh, The big one. Kenton will be – because he's a big one happens behind three guys. Because it's not, it's not the leader really crashes. Yeah. It's usually like the fifth or sixth place guy. Exactly. Or on back. Or as we saw last night, the second crash in the Gatorade duel, or the Bud duel, pardon me. Uh, you know, both races were relatively, and nothing in the there was only one caution. And that was at the very end of the second race. You see, uh, you know, it was, it was a little more pack racing, but, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson ran out of fuel. And, uh, and then caused a big wreck last night. So, but usually, like in the middle of the, because you don't see him really at the front that often, and you don't see him at the back of the pack. But usually, it's somewhere in the middle where it's, it, gets, it gets a little calamitous. Yeah, I think Kenseth will win the 500. And now it's time for our season predictions. Absolutely. BeFuzzy60.com. Yep. Great website has the 20 winning the championship. And, you know, there's so much talk about uh, you consistently, the runner-up in points as an off year. The problem is that didn't happen last year, where and the one thing that, you know, everyone talks about it. Because who was the runner-up two years ago to Brad Keselowski? I think it was Dewey Johnson. Actually, you no, know, it was Clint Boyer. That's right. So, so completely scrapped what I was going to say about that. Because you know, it's just you just assume. I mean, Clint Boyer had a touchy, had a solid year, but I think Kenta. So many people talk about like a runner-up slump. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think once again, the twenty is going to be the dominant car. But the Gibbs is going to be strong at a lot of tracks. As Kenta was, he was had the best car at so many tracks last year, and I think that he's going to come out. He's going to win a lot of races. And he's going to win. I think he's going to win the chase. I think he's going to be strong throughout the chase. I think Jimmy Johnson will be in the mix. And I think a couple of battles like guys we talked about, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, will also be in that mix. Homestead Miami Speedway in November. I think it could be. I mean, please say it. There's a lot, there's a lot of guys you could choose this. Because exactly. the way, the way this, this new chase works is you have to look at the segments. That's right. And see the segments, who is good. I would not be surprised if Happy Harvick wins the championship. I I I don't I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I, I think either Ken, first of all a lot of, a lot of signs point to Jimmy Johnson because when we look at the segments he's dominant at a lot of these segments. Yeah, exactly. The one thing people always talk about he's never been great at Homestead, but he's also never had the pressure to be great at Homestead. Right. Very rarely. Because I think Kevin Harvick was one of the highest finishers exactly. at Homestead. Yeah. And he did well in the chase. He finished what third? I think so. He was in the he was in the hunt. He does well on the mile and a half. He does much like Jimmy Johnson. Uh, the only tracks I could see him struggle is Dover and Martinsville. Uh-huh. He won Phoenix. He does well at Homestead. He's he he does average at the Charlottes and the Texas the cookie cutter tracks. But then he's won consistently at Chicagoland. He's Done well at New Hampshire. Yeah. One at Talladega. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and he's a very good 
he's another one of those plate guys that always finds a way to be in the mix. He yep. was always like one of the last year. Exactly. Or, we talk about yeah. you know everyone remembers that Dale Jr. would be the dominant car. Kevin Harvick was at the front of a lot of those races, and he's uh, always been a very good play racer. I think I think the only downside of Kevin Harvick winning is new team. New team that struggled last year out of the hole when they expanded. A lot of people think they expanded a little too quickly, and they expanded again. Yep. And so, other than Harvick, he'll be able to do Johnson. I think there's no way. I think now that he sees seven, nothing's going to stop. Nothing's going to stop him. Can't it stop is. me now. Exactly. Don't stop me now. It's sung by Queen. Open up the door, Flo. Let's bring out people in. And we got the funk. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bobby. Keep that funk alive. Keep that funk alive. Mm. Well, it's 1975, and uh, we'll just be keeping the funk alive. Five minutes. All right, it's time for it, a kind of an interesting tweet from Flo, quickly acclaimed segment. We, are, we pretty much dissected everything in Flo's blog. Uh, an interesting blog post as we have Ian Lutz in the mix now with us. How have you been? Great. This is your first time on the radio. How does it feel? It's not my first time on the radio, actually, but it's my Steve. first time on Fan Fanatic Radio. What was your first time on the radio? I was uh, interviewed for a high school race. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, according to Flo's blog, a funny story I actually saw on the SI Wire. Oh, boy. The NFL Today dropped to Dan Marino. Yep. And the Shannon Sharp replacing with Tony Gonzalez. You know, by the way, Power move. it's interesting to note that now we we have the entire uh, collection of uh, Nebraska Hall 319 in the mix. We got Mr. Xander on the outside looking in. What's up, ladies? Why did they drop Dan Reno? Well, Dan Reno was off. Yeah, he was. And Shannon Sharp was way too emotional for his job. And he was, but he would like occasionally would have like cool, like or like good, like, like intriguing moments, but they'd be so far and few between. And he just his diction is awful. What do you guys think about Sharp and uh, Warren Sapp getting into it? Strahan. Strahan. We talked about that. That was very laughable. That was last week's show, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the last week's show. Weeks. It was two weeks because we were in here. Because of the pop. And that was when I'm uh, with we I'm with Strahan. So who's on the crew now? It's, Cal- it's Jim Brown, James Brown, Cower, Boomer Sison, and uh, oh, Gonzalez. But there, there are rumors that they're going to add a defensive player uh, soon. Nobody's not certain who, but I think it could be uh, a good friend, Bart Scott. Ah, I put Derek Brooks. I heard Derek Brooks on the radio the other day. You good? I heard that he, no, like that he was Derek in the mix. Brooks, where did that come from? He's never really good at broadcasting. Or John, they just take John Lynch from Fox. He's good. He's good, but his contract might not be up though. Exactly. Uh, another, another shout out is a barista in D.C. at the coffee bar. Same last name as me. Her name is Elizabeth Lutz. Same last name as me. No way. She won a bronze medal on the Swiss women's hockey team. You can find that uh, barista bar. It's called Coffee Bar or something, and it's down a block or two away from the U Street Metro stop. Is it really? It is. We love U Street. That's awesome. And uh, another final thing on this day in history, uh, President Nixon became the first president to visit China. And the first telephone book was issued in New Haven, Connecticut. How about that? John, do I have any, any final things you want to say? 
in regards to the combine, I just want to give a shout out to Mr. Andre Williams. I had a chance to speak to him personally, and he said he's looking very much forward to succeeding at the NFL Combine. The running back from Boston College, you also met Vern Lundquist. I did. Vern Lundquist, in, in terms of broadcasters, Vern Lundquist is a legend. He's, he's witnessed so many great events in his lifetime, it would really, really, uh, it would behoove him to write a book in which he's going to. We will be in that book. We'll follow Chef Snack Radio for my guests, Ian Lutz. Our party crasher, John Gardner, Ben Florence, Xander Gutowski, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.